0: At this time, we'll have Dr. Jake Eumanns come with his wife, Christy, and she'll be doing a little artwork. Sorry, kids. You can see it later. Um, and he'll be presenting for us about uh, something he did up at the youth gathering just a few weeks ago, right? Uh, titled, I Doubt It. And so uh, let's look forward to this. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I, I got to tell you, a greetings from Concordia University. It's such an honor to be here. And thank you for letting us borrow Pastor Steve and Pat Fick so much. Not only have they become dear friends to us, uh, they are co-workers in the kingdom, and to be honest, they're kind of who we want to be when we grow up someday. Is, is, uh, well, the funny thing is, I think you want to be Steve, and I want to be Pat, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny how that all worked out. Well, in in, in our talk, and our time today, we're, we're going to wrestle with doubt, and, and you may think, wow, church is a weird place to wrestle with doubt. We should talking about faith, and we will talk about faith. But one of the things we want to talk about is that perhaps faith and doubt are not the extreme opposites that we've always thought they were. Now what is interesting when we talk about opposites is that Christy and I in June celebrated 21 years of marriage, which probably doesn't impress a lot of you, but for us it was a very, very big deal. But what's fun about our marriage in a lot of ways is we are opposites. Oh, see, look at that!
1: Very opposite. Very opposite.
0: (laughs) Um, Opposite number one is I was born in the great state of Minnesota, and I knew that would impress at least two of you. As (laughs) as Pastor Steve and I always always talk is that only the finest people on the planet have the privilege of being born in Minnesota.
1: And I, oh yeah. yeah, and I was born in the foreign lands of Taiwan, so across the ocean.
0: A lot more oohs and ahs for that. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, opposite number two is I teach at King Core University. Been there for 10 years, starting year 11. So I work with college kids, and I get to train future church workers.
1: And I am a third-grade teacher at a public school.
0: So tell them how much you enjoy talking to uh, adults.
1: Oh, so... This is very new to me. He speaks to adults all the time. I speak to little ones. And so to make me feel more comfortable, if some of you could just start wiggling in your chairs and run up to use the restroom, I'll feel more comfortable. Like, you know, it's my classroom.
0: But if you have to use the restroom, raise your hand. Raise
1: your hand first. Yes, yes.
0: That's one of the most important rules in any good third grade classroom. Like this,
1: like this. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, And finally, and you may not be able to tell today because I was properly dressed by my wife this morning, but I am extremely colorblind.
1: Thank you. Very, Thank yes, you. yes. Thank you. And I'm an art major. Yeah. So so, so
0: with that, uh, I will probably end up doing most of the talking, except you're always encouraged to talk more, honey. They always make it very clear. Talk as much as you absolutely want. But while we tackle uh, doubt and, and, and wrestle with doubt, she's going to be giving us a visual artistic impression of doubt. And as we look at doubt, we probably have to start by talking about arguably the most famous doubting story in scriptures of all time. Post-resurrection, there are 11 disciples of, of Jesus left, and the, uh, one of them is not in the room when Jesus shows up. And he comes back a little bit later and the disciples are so excited, you missed it, Jesus came back. And he says, no, 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 until I touch the side where the sword was and his hands and his feet, I will not believe. Well, the scriptures say a week later, Jesus let him live in his doubt, which is a huge implication for us. A week later, Jesus comes back, and that disciple happens to be there. And he does touch the side, and he does touch the hands and the feet. And he says this, and it's such an important phrase. He says, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And for 2,000 years, followers of Christ around the world have referred to this disciple as. Yeah. Now, in fifth grade, I was part of a championship flag football team. We were undefeated. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) And there was a kid on our team named Steven who we picked on. And the best idea we had for picking on this kid was to call him Stinky. Evidently, Stephen was not a big fan of this nickname. He ran home and told his mother, which means his mother called my mother, which means my mother pulled me in for a conversation. And my mother started off by asking me why we called Stephen Stinky. And I said, but mom, he he stinks. And my mother, without skipping a beat, looks me dead in the eyes and says, Jacob, you stink worse. (laughs) One of our goals this morning is that we will never call Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas again. Our goal is that we will call him Thomas. Because the reality of our faith journey and his faith journey is one of faith and doubt. And faith and doubt. And we'll process what all of that means. But may we, by God's grace, never call Thomas Doubting Thomas again. I have a fear that when a number of us get to heaven someday and we run into Thomas on the sweets of gold... If you go up to him and say, man, it's so good to meet you, Doubting Thomas, his response is going to be, come on, man, we all doubt. That's been part of our faith journey. Now, to explore doubt, we're going to, we're going to tackle this from a holistic approach using psychology, uh, sociology, philosophy, and eventually we're going to get into some theology. But first, I, I, I want to talk about this. If you can go to the next slide. The human psyche, the psychology of the human psyche is we crave equilibrium. We don't want to get too high and we don't want to get too low. We crave equilibrium. This is how we were designed. And what's interesting about that, a couple of proof texts for you. Have you ever been so incredibly happy or joyful that you just started crying? Think about how odd that is. Or, perhaps even more inappropriately, at least in in my life, have you ever been so incredibly sad that you just started laughing? I've done this before at funerals, and it's not good. (laughs) The human psyche craves equilibrium. And when you get too high or when you get too low, there are natural, physiological, psychological reactions that happen that get us back to equilibrium. Example number two, if you ever study the five stages of grief, the first step in the five stages of grief grief is denial, which is a really fancy academic way of saying doubt. When the news is too good to be true, the first response is doubt. When the news is too bad to be true, the first response is doubt. And as followers of Jesus, we have the most incredible, life-changing, world-changing news about the unconditional, everlasting love of a God who sent his one and only son into the world to live the perfect life that we could never live, to die a brutal death we would never want to die, and who rose again under his own power to conquer sin, death, and the devil forever. And now he lives, and now he reigns, and he's eventually calling all of us home. This news is too good to be true, but it is. So doubt is going to be a natural part of that faith journey. Uh, Next, let's go over a little bit of sociology, if you will. This is research done by the Barna Institute exploring doubt, asking followers of Jesus, Christians and those who used to follow Jesus, how doubt was experienced in their life. And the first slide shows us this that essentially two thirds of Christians acknowledge doubt. So if you have ever doubted, you are in the majority. And I would humbly, lovingly throw out there that if you don't think you've ever doubted, maybe you're not being honest with yourself. Doubt is a part of following Jesus. Slide number two, if you will, in the sociological idea. Here's where we can boldly say, Scientifically researched, we can boldly say doubt is good if it's explored and expressed. If it's wrestled with. And also remember the name that God gave his people, uh, Jacob, which is an okay name, but uh, there's this guy named Jacob who wrestled with God and God renamed him Israel, which literally means to wrestle with God. Look at this statistic for a moment. 53% of respondents said that doubt actually made their faith stronger. May we be people of faith who are not afraid to wrestle with doubt. Because by God's grace, he can use our doubt to make our faith stronger. Next slide, if you will. Uh, This is the response to doubt. We have two quick slides here about the response response to doubt. And, And the first one shows us this. When people experience doubt, one of the first things they stop doing is the spiritual disciplines. So when you doubt, perhaps the most important place to go is engaging in the spiritual disciplines to engage in time in the Word, to engage in time in prayer, to engage in time of Christian community, the first thing you see there from the statistics is they stopped attending church and worship gatherings. As you wrestle with doubt, perhaps it's the community of faith that is most important to get you through that season of doubt, which leads us to our final sociological slide, which is this. In a response to doubt, respondents were asked, who did you seek out to engage in conversations about doubt? And by far, the top respondent was friends or family. So you, as a friend, as a family member, have the incredible opportunity to be there for your loved ones when they are experiencing moments of doubt. What an incredible opportunity. Now, with someone who trains church workers, the one there in the, uh, oh, I'm colorblind, Maroon? that says a pastor or spiritual leader at 18%, get this, this is so huge. When a follower of Jesus is experiencing doubt, they are twice as likely to go to a friend or family member than to a professional church worker. For those of us in professional ministry, what this means is we need to focus more on being a friend and family member than hiding behind our titles. we have an incredible opportunity to journey with people as they experience moments of doubt. All right, As I promised you, we're going to look at this holistically. We've tackled psychology and now sociology, and I want to look at a little bit of philosophy. And if you can go to the next slide, there is a, a Lutheran theologian by the name of Paul Tillich. And Paul Tillich was alive in the, in, the, in the mid-1900s, and he said this, Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. Again, doubt is good if it's explored and expressed. And he goes so far as to essentially say this. Doubt is proof of faith. There's this great story of a, a, a man who comes to Jesus and his son is, is possessed with demons. And he comes to Jesus and he says, please heal my son. And Jesus says, anything is possible for those who believe. And the man says this, and maybe this is our prayer as we wrestle with our own doubt. The man says this, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What would that prayer mean for you? Next quick quote I want to give you is from a gal named Kara Powell who is a, a researcher, um, Uh, and philosopher out of uh, Southern California. And she's written a new book called Growing With. And if you have teenagers or uh, late adolescent children or grandchildren you care about instilling the faith in, I cannot recommend this book enough. It is all about helping us walk through the journey of faith and, and, and what that means in our life. And she's coined a new term called faithing. And her idea here is that we too often think of faith as a static noun that you have or don't have. And she argues that faith is more about journey and more of a verb. And faithing is defined as a child's growth in owning and embodying their own journey with God as they encounter new experiences and information. Our kids, our loved ones, are going to encounter new information and they're going to have new experiences How can we show the eternal truths of God as being alive as they encounter those new experiences and? Now I want to get into uh, the scriptures, and we're going to be all over the place this morning, so I, I, I apologize a little bit, but want to give us a, a theological foundation for exploring and looking at doubt, and, and the first idea is this, if you can go to the next slide, it's from uh, uh, Jude 22, don't look for Jude chapter 22, there's only one chapter in Jude, so this is Jude chapter 1, verse 22, and, and, and the writer of the book of Jude says this, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. What a beautiful idea. So number one, I think we have to wrestle with this. Perhaps the person we need to have the most mercy on is ourselves. What, What does it mean to have mercy on ourselves as we wrestle with doubt? What this also means for a community of faith as we explore faith and doubt together is there are no dumb questions. May we be a community where there is no question off the table. May we be a community where we can explore and wrestle with faith and doubt together. Another one of those famous biblical stories about doubt is is Jesus walking on water. And what's cool about that story is we see Jesus walk on water really well, and then Peter attempt to walk on water. Do, do you remember this story? Too often when this story is told, my fear is it's told through a lens of judgment. Because we see uh, Peter going out in the water, and we see him sinking very quickly, and we see Jesus coming over and picking him up, and then the line we get in Scripture, the red letters we get in Scripture are, Peter, why do you doubt? But what if that phrase, Peter, why do you doubt? Is from the lens of mercy as opposed to the lens of judgment. What if it's Jesus picking up his loved ones saying, Peter, I, I'm here for you. I always will be. You may have been distracted by the wind and the waves and the things that are all around you, but I will never leave you or forsake you. Take my hand and let's get back in the boat. What would it do to that story if we told it through a lens of mercy versus a lens of judgment? Thought number two from a theological perspective. Enjoy the mystery. Enjoy the mystery. If you, if I, if we understood everything there was to know about God, he would no longer be God. This is such an important idea because too often we get frustrated with our lack of understanding, but perhaps it's our lack of understanding that actually makes God, God. Another great scriptural idea is post-resurrection in the book of John. Peter and John are running to the tomb, and they get into the tomb, and they see the empty tomb. And the scriptures say this, they believe, but they do not yet understand. Too often, in our wrestling with doubt, we focus on understanding. But what if we focused on believing and lived in the mystery, enjoyed the mystery when it comes to understanding? There's a great book called You Lost Me, where the author argues um, or or, explores why so many young people are leaving the church today. And one of the top reasons he gives is because of a perceived conflict between faith and science. Perhaps this idea of enjoying the mystery, of living in the mystery, is one of the best ways to really wrestle with that that perceived conflict between faith and science. So the scripture reference I have here for you is Deuteronomy 29, 29. I want to read this for you word for word because this is Moses' farewell address. This is Moses' Hall of Fame speech, if you will. Moses is getting ready to climb the mountain. The people of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses, as he's given his farewell address, hits the key highlights of what it means to follow Yahweh, to follow God, and he says this. He says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. What would it mean for us to live in the mystery? Speaking of mystery... I know you all are very curious what's happening over at the canvas. So, Christy, walk them through where we're at in our uh, mystery understanding of doubt. Absolutely. So,
1: as Jake said, it's the mystery that helps with our belief. So, on this side of the canvas, we have that stronghold, that strong trunk, that rootedness that we know and that we believe in our faith. And then here we have that mystery, and somehow the two are going to be working together to help with our faith.
0: Excellent. Isn't she amazing? I know. I know. There's more to come. Don't leave yet. And nobody's raised their hand to go to the bathroom, so so far we're so good. We're so far, so far we're so good. All right, the the, the next idea I want to give you is this, if you can go to the next slide, it's remember. Perhaps one of the most important tools that God has given us in our tool belt as we wrestle with doubt is to remember his faithfulness. So, the, this carom of stones, anybody know the Hebrew word for that? You guys don't study Hebrew at, at Redeeming Grants? Really? We don't study Hebrew. Oh, okay, I apologize. The, the Hebrew word is Ebenezer. Maybe you've sung a song, Come by Fount, uh, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. Is that in our repertoire, Mrs. Fick? It, okay, fantastic. Ebenezer in Hebrew means this stone of help. Stone of help. And it's come to symbolize so much bigger than just that meaning stone of help. This is a trail marker. Maybe you've been out hiking, even our little neighborhood of trails. We see these all over the place. But what the ancient tradition is with Ebenezer's is, you stack these stones when you hit a certain point as a reminder that God has been faithful in the past. He has led us to this point. Why wouldn't he be with us in the future? Again, perhaps one of the most important tools God has given us as we wrestle with doubt is remember his faithfulness in the past. God has been with us. God has blessed us. Why wouldn't he be with us in the future? Uh, Psalm 77. Well, let's take a step back. What I love about the Psalms, divinely inspired, God's songbook, God's people's songbook, is they are all over the place in their expression of what it means to follow Jesus. Psalm 77, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you now. I'm going to kind of summarize it for you because I think it's such a, a couple of key ideas in here. The psalmist in 77 will say in one verse, God, you are always with me. And then a couple of verses later, he will say, God, where the heck are you? And heck in Hebrew is a strong word. All over the place. God, you always defeat my enemies. God, why are my enemies defeating me right now? All over. Over the place. And my friends, this is divinely inspired. What if that remembrance is all part of how we wrestle with doubt? So, what do you have to remember? As you look back at your times of wrestling and doubt and faithfulness of God. Where has he brought you through? What has he brought you through? And why wouldn't he be faithful as we move forward? Next is this. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul reminds us what the main thing is. And the main thing is Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and he's coming back again. I'll make that even simpler for you. The main thing is Jesus saves. Keep the main thing, the main thing. In Christendom, we love to argue about creationism, and we love to argue about end times. My response to both these arguments is, let's talk about Jesus. Keep the main thing, the main thing, Jesus saves. Uh, You got to meet my girls a a little bit ago. Uh, They they were were singing. Um, And what was was interesting about both of their five- to six-year-old time frames is uh, we had an encounter with drowning with each of them at about that that time frame. Mm -hmm. Uh, Miley was in kindergarten. We were at a friend's house for Thanksgiving, and they had a jacuzzi. I don't know about you, but in our family, Thanksgiving jacuzzi just kind of works. She gets in the jacuzzi, and she takes one step too far, and she can't touch anymore and still breathe. But she's smart, and she's quick. So she's jumping, and when she would scream, Daddy, save me, Daddy, save me, Then she'd go back down. So what do you think I did? I jumped in and saved her, absolutely. Keys, wallet, phone, everything in the jacuzzi. And then I just kind of hung out in there for a while. Might as well, you're already wet. Wrapped her up in my arms. <coughs> Told her how much I loved her. Of course. When your daughter is yelling daddy save me, of course you do anything and everything to save. Leilani the same age. We're visiting some friends in Florida and there's a pool and we're not really paying attention to what's going on. Uh, And she takes one step too many into the deep end. And she's not able to jump and and speak. In fact, she does not have the wherewithal to yell, Daddy, save me. But I see her out of the corner of my eye and I see her go down and I run over there. And those of you who have kids, a lot of you probably have had that moment where she is underwater, eyes wide open, and I am just looking at her. And she does not say, Daddy, save me. But what do you think I did? I jumped in and saved her. Absolutely. So get this, and this is grace, this is the gospel, is whether you have the strength and the wherewithal to say, Daddy, save me, he will. And if you don't have the strength to say, Daddy, save me, he will. This is all part of the journey of faith, is in our doubts, in our drownings. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Finally, I want to go to this idea of going and growing. We have to look at following Jesus as a journey. Again, think faith in walking with Jesus through the journey he has blessed us with. The scripture reference I have for you here is Matthew 4 19, and this is the calling of the first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And and they're on the beach doing their their cleaning their nets, doing their their post fishing cleanup stuff. And Jesus walks over and he says, Come and follow me, and I will make you. Yeah. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Do you get it? The journey, the going, and the growing. You see, when we go, we grow. And when we grow, we got to go. It's got to be this cycle of going and growing and growing and going and going and growing. And notice how in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus does not say this. And my fear is too often we interpret it as this. Jesus does not say to the disciples, come, you are now fishers of men. Do, do, Do you see the significance of that? Going and growing, all of this is about journeying with Jesus. And speaking of journeying, uh, my Hebrew lesson didn't go so well, so I'm going to try some Swahili on you to see what happens. Uh, The word safari in Swahili means journey. And and, and a number of years ago, and, and I know that safari now has come to mean hunting or photography or all kinds of other things, but it literally means journey. And uh, a year ago, a year, like literally a year ago, a year ago, like three days ago, uh, the four of us, my lady, and I got to go on a journey uh, and a safari through, uh, through Tanzania. I, I have a student, so my job at Concordia is I raise up church workers and then place them all over the planet. Sometimes they are in cool exotic spots like Tanzania, which I'll show you a video here in a moment. Sometimes they're in cool exotic spots like Texarkana. You, you never know where God is going to send you. Uh, sometimes you pray for Texas and you get Tanzania. Some, sometimes other things happen in between. Uh, we're visiting one of my students over there who uh, was serving with uh, orphanages and working with albino African kids, which asked me later. and There's a cool story behind why that's so important. Um, But uh, this was us on safari in the Serengeti. The Serengeti means endless plains in Swahili, and it's important because the video we're going to show you, if you can roll the video. uh, This is what we call in English a cheetah, and uh, can we hit play on the video, is that possible? No video? Oh, that's okay, I'll I'll kind of walk you through it. Um, If you go on YouTube and and search um, cheetah selfie, you will find this video. Uh, Christy has over a million views, which um, I believe, are you now categorized as a YouTube star? I think I'm a YouTuber. Yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. So we're minding our own business in the Serengeti, and a cheetah jumps on top of our Jeep. And this cheetah, it's, it's an open-air Jeep, and the cheetah puts his claw, and we learned in the course of this experience that a cheetah is the only big cat that does not have retractable claws. Its claws are always there. And this claw is about a foot from Leilani, my youngest daughter's head. Uh, we're all just kind of frozen in this experience. And our guide, and, and let me tell you this too, as you think about journey and safaris, guides are incredibly important. Uh, this guide had 18 years of experience touring the Serengeti. This is the second time something this has happened. So we're blessed, as they say. The cheetah is looking for shade. It just had a kill. There was blood all over its face. There was blood all over its claws. And again, the claw is about a foot uh, from my daughter's head. It hangs out for about two minutes. That's how long the video is, about two minutes. Then it kind of wanders off to explore other things in the Serengeti. An incredible, dare I say, supernatural encounter with the natural. Here's the biggest problem with this experience. We can't go to zoos anymore. Because we've experienced wildlife the way it God intended in the wild. And as we processed this journey, we've had to wrestle, and I encourage you to wrestle with the idea of is our faith journey a zoo or is it a safari? Is our faith journey one where we are expecting the unexpected? We are expecting God to work in miraculous ways. We remember the past and we thank God for the future that He already has laid out for us in Jesus' name. Speaking of journeying, our journey has come to an end. Tell them where we are, honey.
1: I mean, art is subjective, so you probably see something that I don't see. But um, my intention here was here in the mystery, it's that journey, that safari that this person has been on. And it's through that that we find and strengthen our faith as we go towards that. And we should always be pursuing that. But there's always going to be twists and turns and adventure in our faith.
0: Uh, b- before we, we close, I just want to say one, one more quick thing is that this uh, painting is a gift from us to uh, Pastor Steve and to, and to Pat. We want to thank you for your love and support. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for your love and support over the years. Right. Now, let me also say if they choose to hang it in, in the church, that's their prerogative. <laughs> but it's theirs, it is our gift to them for their, friend, their, their friendship and, and uh, mentorship and how much they mean to us. And with that being said, May we be on this faithing journey where we embrace the adventure that God has for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen.